for joining Time Out with PSOA, where sports officials share their stories to help recruit, train, educate not only sports officials, but players, coaches, administrators, and fans. Through this information, we're going to help make us all better for the game. Thank you for taking time out with PSOA. Today's topic is NSAA NFHS high school softball. In the podcast today, we have the director of softball umpires from the NSAA, Ron Higdon. Ron, welcome to Time Out with PSOA podcast. And what are some opening words to say to the audience? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's always good to be able to have the opportunity to talk about officials, uh, umpires, and all the things that we do at the NSA. So I appreciate you allowing us to be here. Glad you were able to make it in, and hopefully we can make an impact on the coaches, fans, and umpires for this upcoming 2023 season. With that being said, the first thing officials have to do is register. So if you could, we have a new official taking a listen to this podcast. What does a new softball umpire who has not worked high school softball before, what do they have to do to register? Well, you go to our website, and there's an officials tab. And when you click on the officials tab, it, it says, are you a new official? Click here. And it'll take them to the registration page. So they register and create an account on our platform. And then from that point, you can, when you, if you register, you pay the fee. You create the account first. But then when you register is when you pay the fee to do a specific sport. When you register for the, or when you create the account, it can be for any sports because you can be a, um, an official in several different sports, but you still only have one account. <clears throat> Once you choose to uh, register for a specific sport, you register, pay the fee, and then there's a couple of steps that you have to do in order to become a classified official eligible to do varsity contest for the NSA. Now, that registration and all of that is only for varsity competition. We have a number of officials that work lower-level games, maybe it's reserve or freshman or even JV, that are not registered with us, don't have an account with us, but they're an official in sense, and they work for our schools. Um, so when you register with us and you do all the steps necessary, which is take a test, and, and it's an open book test. Once you register with us, we send you a book, a rules book for that specific sport, and then you watch a rules meeting on a yearly basis. So every year there's a different rules meeting for every one of the sports like that. So once you fulfill those commitments and do all the regulations for that, you appear on a roster. And that roster is open to all of our schools so that they can select officials for their regular season contests because they're the ones that schedule regular season contests. Now, some of them have assigners and, and go that route, but a lot of our schools – uh, the athletic director is the one that selects the officials and makes those assignments. So that's how you get into the process um, as a new official with the NSA. So I know the deadline is August 18th. If there's a brand new umpire um, listening to this podcast and it's after August 18th, does the NSA help that new umpire get registered? Yeah, I mean, especially if you're a brand new umpire and you want to get into the game, um, Call our office. We'll help you through the process. Uh, if you're late for a specific sport or a specific season, we'll have that conversation, see if there's something that we can do during that time. Sometimes it gets to the point where it's too late. The season's well in, underway or too far in the season. But a lot of times we're going to do whatever we can to help you out and get to where you want to be. If you want to be a softball umpire and it's past the due date 
and you can't get in there and register for softball, give us a call and we'll, we'll see what we can do to help you out. You know, the first off, the website is www.nsaahome.org. Um, we'll be part of that podcast uh, description as well. And I know myself, I do a little softball signing, even if it's too late to get started to do varsity softball. As, as Ron said, there's always sub-varsity softball. Absolutely. Um, we work with Jim Buley here in Omaha, and he, he will get you on sub-varsity softball games. So reach out to Ron, reach out to Jim, reach out to myself, and we'll help you get started, um, high school softball umpire. Yeah, and that, that's a great point because softball is growing. I mean, it, it, it's growing by leaps and bounds. And the popularity of the sport and the growth of, of the girls participating in it is significant enough that there is more and more lower-level games that need to be covered. So if you're not ready for varsity or you don't, you don't want to register with us, you can still give us a call and we can get you hooked up with the right people to, to get some lower-level games if that's what you're looking for. All right, so we, we got an umpire who's registered. You know, Nebraska is unique. We place uh, fast pitch softball in the fall. Right. Um, so what, a lot of our new rules, there might be new rules coming, but they're not quite new yet. Um, so what are the new rule slash rules this year for this season? And what have you heard about the new rules for the 2024 season coming up? There's really no significant rules coming forth this year as far as playing. Um, the one major rule change that is different from the past is jewelry. The jewelry rule was uh, you couldn't wear jewelry, you couldn't wear necklaces, you couldn't wear earrings. That has been thrown out. There's no more jewelry rule, so that those are allowed. Uh, you kind of assume the risk when you wear those, whether, you know, most of the time the injury is to yourself. So you assume the risk if you're going to wear jewelry. Um, the, other, the other rule changes this year, this year meaning 2023 for Nebraska, uh, we're more of a clarification of some things that we were already called as uh, with obstruction and interference with a base runner and somebody trying to uh, play on the ball in foul territory or fair territory. So all that was just kind of clarification stuff because it was already being called that way, and the the rules committee felt like that they needed some wording in there to help the umpires, you know, have have the backing of the book. But uh, as far as future. And this is an interesting caveat to Nebraska. We are one of only five states in the NFHS that play softball in the fall, which means majority of the 2023 rules apply to all the 45 other states that play softball in the spring. So then they have the rules meeting after the spring season, uh, and they meet over the summer, they vote on the rules, and then the rule changes for next year for everybody else comes out. So those are the news releases of what those rule changes are going to be for next year for us and actually 2024 for, for them. So um, the most significant one that sticks out is the leap for the pitchers. Now that's not no longer going to be illegal, which means the foot leaves the <clears throat> pitching mound and doesn't stay in contact with the ground as they deliver the pitch. You can like leap up and you can have some space in between the foot and the ground and then land as you as you pitch. Now you still can't replant before you l- release the ball, but the leap itself is going to be legal in high school next year for NSAA and really next year for in the spring for all the other states. It, it's kind of confusing, but we're kind of on a backward schedule with with softball in Nebraska. Now that that's that's good to know sort of what what's coming, and I will say this. <laughs> 
as an official myself, we always called ourselves the uniform police in the in the past. So hearing that the jewelry, there is no restrictions because of that um, safety concern is on that own player. Um, that's less we have to worry about as sports officials. So, you know, as we said in football, a step in the right direction when it comes to uniform policing. Um, as as you go around the state, as you have um, conversations with coaches, there's always points of emphasis. Um, you stated this year, just like all the other sports, sportsmanship is a huge point, uh, point of emphasis. What is your expectation when it comes to sportsmanship of the responsibility of official and coach to adhere to that sportsmanship? Well, I think it, 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 they kind of work together. I mean, the, the two entities, the fans, coaches, players on one side and the officials sometimes on the other, that's the way people look at it. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't need to be that way because we think that the relationship and the fact that the people that are doing the officiating, whether it's umpiring football or wrestling or whatever that might be, uh, they're still people. And we have to humanize that and we have to educate the people that are losing their lid for, you know, a call that doesn't go their way and if, if and manage expectations. I mean, we, I, I say it all the time. You have to manage your expectations because if your expectations as a fan is for everything to be perfect and for those people to be perfect in every call they make, you're going to be disappointed every time because there's 50-50 calls that some side, one side or the other think is a bad call. And those calls... Uh, happen every day in every sport in every level like if you think about it you you look back and you watch all the stuff that's on tv and they have eight different camera angles and they can <laughs> slow it down to next to nothing for about 10 minutes and then like yes that was the right call or no we're going to change it but it's still i mean that it's probably 50 50 but people people's expectations are are unrealistic at times even for themselves you know like they think oh my gosh this is it's the officials. The worst thing that that people can do is come complain about the officials all the time. And as a coach, I'm a former coach. I kind of liked it when the other coaches complaining about official because they're worried about the wrong stuff. That's great for me, you know. In the end, probably evens out. You get some calls, you don't get some calls. If they're fifty-fifty. Half the time you get them, half the time you don't. And there's going to be bad calls. There's going to be missed calls. There's going to be misinterpretations, and we have that, and we deal with them, and we learn from them. But at the same time, trying to educate those people that there's a civility that needs to happen. We need to be more civil about everything when it comes to competition because if, especially at the officiating side, if we don't have officials, we're not able to enjoy this, you know, contest, sport, whatever. We won't have it. You know, one of the things you, you brought up that the NSA is doing is respect the ref campaign. You know, what is it that uh, yourself as a director, the other directors are doing to help share the information of Respect the Ref? Yeah, so we started a couple of years, and it was just a social media campaign about Respect the Ref, and uh, NFHS had some resources that we utilized and sent out to uh, schools. And it's, we leave it up to our schools to send it out to parents and, and, and things of that nature because we really don't have, you know, email addresses or we have social media and we have a lot of following, but we don't hit everybody. So when we started that Respect the Ref uh, campaign, it was only social media. And then our now supervisor officials, Nate Newhouse, created a presentation that we've done at, at several schools across the uh, state. And it's the Respect the Ref uh, presentation. And it tries to humanize the officials and let them know that they're people too. Um, 
They're not professional officials. A majority of them have a 40-hour full-time job somewhere else. And if they were to mess up at work, would somebody be breathing down their back and screaming at them? And even if they got it right, is somebody screaming, screaming at them at work? So we try to humanize that. We try to educate them on what, what needs to happen if we're going to make things better because we have a large percentage of our officials that are age 45 and over, and that's like 65%. Those of individuals are going to eventually leave officiating. And so that leaves 45% to cover it's not equal. So if we continue to lose them and we don't have the numbers to replace them, down the road it's going to become more of a crisis. So we're, we're at a crisis situation in some regards. So we try to educate and we do assemblies for schools with all the, all the students come in at, in the gym and we do it, and we try to have fun with it. We laugh with it. We tell stories. We show some examples. But then it comes time to get serious about it. We also go to parent groups. Uh, they have the beginning of the season meeting with the parents, and we talk about, you know, who do you want to be? Like, do you think that your kid's really uh, proud when you freak out and are screaming in the crowd and uh, they turn around and see you? I mean, do you think that that's a proud moment for their kid? Most likely not. <laughs> You know, and kids like you got to model the way like coach. If they're not on the sideline freaking out at a call, then the crowd in the, in the stands like, what? Oh, my God. Well, the coach, maybe maybe you got it right. You know, so there's a lot of examples and scenarios that we put out and just put them and just try to make them think about it. Honestly, most rational people, if they sit down and think about it in a, in a like rational way, they'll be going, oh, I get it. OK. I understand. So that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to educate them. And if you're, if you're listening, listening to the podcast as a parent, you know, contact your school, contact your local athletic director. They probably have access um, to that presentation. Now, going back uh, to softball here a little bit, season's going to start. And I don't think the audience realizes all the work a director does behind the scenes. Um, so what is it that you do? behind the scenes before that first pitch to get everything organized so when that first pitch does happen, it goes as smooth as possible? So we work hand-in-hand with our schools and our officials. So we talk about the whole registration process with officials. We have a deadline for that. We communicate sometimes daily if they don't have everything done, and then we communicate with our assigners in our schools with the roster. Okay, this is a completed roster. You can start assigning your officials. And some of them are on top of it enough where – They've already assigned their their, their games. Uh, Today, actually, is the deadline for schools to input their schedules so that all the schedules are complete, and then the schools know, all right, now we can uh, make sure that we can confirm our officials and make sure that all of our contests are covered. Um, So we have to communicate with our schools, and that's also uh, last-minute Charlies, man. (laughs) They they wait to the very last deadline day to, to get some of this stuff done. And actually... Uh, just some of the coaches just finished the rules meeting today as a deadline, and it's been open for, you know, probably five weeks. And some of our officials, and we had um, a discrepancy in the number of officials that we had registered and the ones that completed everything to be on the roster. And that was, as of two days ago, we were still missing about 40 to 45 softball umpires that hadn't completed everything. So we communicate with them, say, hey, you're missing this, you're missing that, and make sure that there's no excuse for them to say, oh, I didn't know. You know, we email them uh, multiple times and we send it to the email address that they list on their uh, account 
and that's how we communicate with them. And slowly but surely, that number ticks up. And my guess is after today, we'll be fairly close to what we had last year, which was for high school varsity contest for NSAA purposes, we had about 190 officials, uh, umpires in softball. And just the other day, we were at 150. So a little bit of a scramble, a yeah. little bit, little bit anxiety happening. Well, if we could do anything that encourage those 40 uh, current umpires to get their tests done, watch the video, um, and then hopefully encourage new umpires just in case um, if that di- uh, demographic doesn't assign, we have more umpires to pull from. Absolutely. Which goes to the next one. You know, what type of observation program do you have? Because obviously you yourself can't go out and look at 191 umpires in every single season. Um, so what is in place to get umpires observed, evaluated, communicate what they're doing well, what they can improve on, um, and what is it do those observers look for in a softball umpire? Well, I, I think let's start at the beginning. When we, when we talk about our observers, we have uh, individuals that were former umpires. We're talking about softball. For former umpires that are now helping us with the observation process. So we get out to see as many as we can. Um, and to be quite honest with you, if, if uh, an individual has been assigned to the state championship for multiple years, we're not going to send an observer out to see them. I mean, those are the ones that go to the clinics already. They go to the, they went to the, the summit. Uh, they go to, they belong to an association. They, they're doing the things that, that make them better, even if they are at the top. Of, you know, the, the best ones are always trying to get better. So we target the the kind of the middle of the road and the new ones. So the ones that are, have been doing it for a little while, but maybe they haven't uh, received a lot of postseason assignments and they want to get better, um, we send our observation you know, process, we send our observers out to see them and go through the observation process. First and foremost, you have to look like a professional. Like you have to uh, make sure that um, your shirt's not wrinkled, you're, you didn't uh, pull your hat out of a a bag that's been wadded up for three weeks. Um, sometimes you stink. Your stuff stinks if you don't take care of it. So some of that is, all, you know, we take that for granted, but some people, you know, if you don't tell them, sometimes they don't think about it. So that's first and foremost. And then when we observe them, knowledge of the rules. Knowledge of the rules is is really good. And sometimes it, it's so easy that it's balls and strikes and outs, and there's not a lot of rule interpretations that you have to go through in a full contest. But then it comes time where you're looking at mechanics and how you do your mechanics, and are your calls crisp? Are you confident when you make those calls? Um, and for lack of a better word, do you sell it? I mean, you sell the call because if you – if I mean, I umpired softball a number of years ago, and I'm a little guy. I'm a wrestler. <laughs> and some of those uh, guys that I, w- I, guess I did men's you know, softball, they're a lot bigger than me. So I had to be confident about it. And I rarely got questioned because I was confident. I was crisp in my calls. Um, I hustled. Like you, you gotta hu- There's times where you can't stand in softball instance, You can't stand behind the plate uh, and make calls at third base and first base without moving at all, never, you know, and not get a little grief. Um, you have to be willing to move and uh, be in shape to move. Like you have to be able to be mobile. Um, and sometimes that's not easy. And some people uh, are so good at it, it looks effortless. So they move and they'll move. And next thing you know, they're over by third base and they were the home plate umpire. And you're like, well, that's, and they're right on top of the call. And then the people are less likely to 
freak out and because they know that you're right on top of them. Number one, they've seen you hustle. Number two, you're about two feet from the play where they're in the 18th row back, you know. <laughs> and so you get you help yourself with that. So we look at some of that stuff, and then if they're not doing that, we kind of educate them. But we also, in the evaluation process, you have to find some good stuff because it can't always be critical. You always have to, like, sandwich it. You know, all right, I, I see some of the things that you're doing good. This is, this is good, this is good, and this is good. Have you ever thought about this? And let's, maybe you should work on this. And then some of it's just point blank, hey, you need to, you need to do this. Um, and so we, I mean, we actually have an observer's meeting next week, and we talk about the consistency of how we give our evaluations and what we're looking for and have this exact same conversation with our observers uh, before we do any of the assigning of the observers. You know, so to get the feedback from the observers um, about the umpires, how about the coaches and athletic directors? What What is the feedback that you get from coaches and athletic directors at your position about umpire assignments or umpire performances? So we, we get those calls <laughs> in all sports. We get those calls. And a lot of times it's uh, in one of the slides for the presentation, it's like um, – have you ever screamed at a ref? Did they ever, did they change your call because you screamed? All right. Is it possible that they got it right? Is it possible you don't know the rule? And a lot of times that answer is that like maybe the, the leap rule, maybe they don't know it and they're freaking out about the leap rule next year. Well, that's legal now. And there's nothing that we give out to parents, um, that we re- we rely on our schools to educate our parents on the rule changes and stuff. I mean, heck, we're, we're still trying to get some of the uh, coaches to watch the rules meeting, <laughs> you know. So we are really trying to communicate, educate, and recruit, train, and retain. Those, those are our big, big, you know, bullet points. You know, the, the last thing here uh, on the topics to cover, and then we'll sort of have a little short question and answer. You got the best umpires down at the state tournament. You, you know who the best of the best are. Um, you know, what is it that you look for, and it might not even be their performance, to get the state championship crews together on the state championship games? I think there's a lot of tentacles to that because it's not just, all right, you're in this group of the best. Number one, I think it's our responsibility to provide opportunities. And it can't be the same people every year because if you're a good uh, official, regardless of the sport, you're competitive. And if that window or that light at the end of the tunnel is never shining for you to have that opportunity, the chances of us losing you are higher. So we try to give multiple times, we give all opportunities um, so that it's not the same crew all the time. The bulk of the crew might be the same because they are the best, you know, and they stick out um, maybe sometimes significantly than others. And it would be kind of crazy to think, Oh my gosh, so and so's not here. But at the same time, we got to get opportunities. We have to have some representation from across the state. It can't be all officials from one area. You know that that's not conducive for growing. And then, lastly, sometimes we're doing a rotation. And all right, you've been here for five years. We're going to have you sit out and give an opportunity. And nine times out of ten, officials are like, I get it. Absolutely. And really, they want to help. And so sometimes they're like, well, how else can I help? And so we have other rules or other uh, roles for them to take, uh, maybe at the district level or the state level. 
as far as assigning uh, postseason, when we have geographical districts uh, for most of our sports, then you have to use somebody from that uh, area uh, because we play travel. Uh, they still have to get off work. Sometimes it's daytime games. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. And there's just, uh, honestly, there's so many contests that we use a large portion of our pool for postseason districts. And then you get in class uh, B and C, we have what's called a district final. So there's sub-districts, which are geographical, and then district finals are higher seed hosts. So that could be a lump of geographical area that a bunch of games are hosted in, and then you still try to get some outside come in, but sometimes it's availability. And so we uh, look at that, and through that process uh, is another evaluation process. By that time, though, we've selected who's coming to state because it's one week. We can't wait that long to assign the state. But as you grow, as you're a young official, and you have the opportunity to uh, do games, and number one, you don't back out on contracts. <laughs> you know, If you have an assigner and they've assigned you and they're good to go and then you don't show up or you back out of the last minute, that, that's not conducive for getting where you want to be if, you're, if your goal is to be a postseason official. So that, that's a big one, too, because we do take input from our observers when we make our postseason selections. We have to. There's no way that I know all the names. This is my first year back in softball. I know a lot of the names just because I've, I've been around softball for a while, but there's a lot of them that I don't know. Like I looked at state lists the other day, and probably 70 to 80% of those guys are new names. And so I've got to get to know them a little bit as the director. But my assigners and my observers do know them. And so that's why we had to use them as, you know, use their input and, and their opinions. And to be quite honest with you, the officials that take that instruction from observers and make the changes that we're asking because that's what we're looking for have a much better chance than somebody's like, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it my way. You know, that tells us that you're not willing to do it the way we want. So you can go do your thing on, in your time, but we're going to have the people that are willing to work with us. That and people that don't cause us drama. There's, there's, there's those out there that will cause drama. And uh, names that come up on a consistent basis. There's so many other things going on when we have the state championships specifically. We want the people that don't cause us drama. And that means knowing your rules, crisp calls, you dress appropriately, and you handle conflict. If there's going to be a conflict with a coach or <clears throat> even a player, then we, we watch how you handle that, and we know that we're not going to have to really worry about it because it's going to be handled. You know? And there's times where we have to get involved, but most of the time that's an unrealistic unreal, side of the fans. You know, he hit run hits a lot of other items we talked about earlier in the podcast. Um, when we talk about conflict resolution next week, we're going to be talking about it takes two to argue. Don't be one of those that argue. Um, so a lot of repeat stuff. And probably the last big thing, you know, control the controllables. As a sports official, there's a lot of things we can't control. We can't control a certain play, the timing of a play, but we could control where we stand to see that play. Um, so, Ron, be, besides softball, you also uh, are the director for wrestling officials and soccer officials. Um, we hope that you want to come back uh, when it comes to wrestling season and soccer season. Absolutely. And we'll talk about registration, new rules, and, and that insight of a director of what we control as sports officials to be successful sports officials on and off the field and court. 
Thank you for taking time out uh, with PSOA today. Anything else you want to tell the audience of words of encouragement? I, I would say that if you're involved in a sport and you love a sport and you want to stay involved, uh, officiating is a great way to do it because uh, there's probably – when we took a survey, the, the number of officials that do it because they love the sport was like 80%. And that's why they continue to do it because they do love the sport and they want to stay involved. So if you love it, I think you should consider it. If I, I started in college and it's a great way to make some money. The per hour wage is probably second to none. And you have some flexibility to pick and choose what, when you can and can't work. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of positives to it. And we just have to, like, educate the other side about let's not make the negative so big. Say yes to softball umpiring, home. Sports officials out there, thank you for taking time out with PSOA. And remember, until our next time out, you're only as good as your last call. A Heard at Sports Network production.